book of Revelation, but in our terminology, we call it, we say, you know, sometimes people call it the book of Revelation. And it's not that that's incorrect, but it is incomplete because the title of the book, according to what the Apostle John wrote, is he called it the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because if we get that wrong, the fact that it's a revelation of Jesus Christ, then we'll get a lot of things wrong. And so that's why we're emphasizing this. And so we want to see Jesus unveiled the way he is in all of his glory. And so we've been, we started in, um, in Revelation chapter one, and we've been going through Revelation chapter two. And I have, uh, just for review, um, a structure um, the seven components of a structure of the letters that he did to the seven churches, if you would, right? So he said a greeting to the leader, to the angel of the church. It was a dual reference to the messenger that led the church, but also to the angelic assistance to that leader. Two specific revelation of Jesus Christ to that church, who he is. And he said, I am the person who is. And then he would give them something that was specific to them about who who he was in in that church's context and what we are finding what i am finding as i study um the different ways he revealed himself to those churches the way he revealed himself to that church had something to do with the the environment that that church had to minister in okay now why is that important because sometimes as a pastor, pastors often struggle with the fact that, man, it's tough to do church in this city because of all of the reasons why this city is so tough. And um, the reality is, is Jesus knows how tough it is that he sent you there anyway and that he's going to reveal himself to you in a way that he needs to so that you can be successful in the place that he assigned you to be. All right. That's very important. Now, I don't know about you, but that there changed my life. Okay. Go on to the list again. When he came to the church, he acknowledged things that they had done right. He called out what had, what was done wrong. He gave a prescription to resolve the issue sometimes with consequences for not taking the right actions, right? Rewards for overcoming and then an admonition to hear what the spirit says to the church. Now let's deal with number five on that list. There is a group of people, a group in the church that has a doctrine that says that Jesus is so much a God of love and grace that there are no consequences. And that if you preach that Jesus has consequences, there's something wrong with you. Right? Because his grace is so good that, you know, he done forgave everything. There's no consequences. But the letters that we've gone through these last few weeks have shown us that that's not 100% accurate. That's just not accurate. And when we read the letter to the church of Thyatira today, we're going to see that that's still not accurate. And each time Jesus comes with some, with some consequences, he keeps stepping up the game. 
You understand that term, stepping up the game? Like, just when you thought he had done everything he can do, he get to the next one, and you're like, Lord. And, um, and so we'll see some of that um, in, in our message today. Um, if you would, I want, I want to read Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And then I'll give you the review of what we did at Pergamos. Um, but I want to read the scripture before I do that. Ephesians, Ephesians 1, um, 22 through 23. And I'm reading it out of the Message Bible. And it's talking about Jesus. So the he here is talking about Jesus. He is in charge of it all has the final word on everything. At the center of of all this, Christ rules the church. The church you see is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. Let me just stay there for a second. What does it mean to be peripheral, Pastor David? I don't use that term, okay? So if I got a planet, I could say that the moon is peripheral to the earth. It goes around the earth, but the earth is the center that determines how the moon moves. Jesus said, this scripture in Ephesians says, when we read it out of the Message Bible, it's not like the world is in the center and the church is just somewhere running around it. From God's perspective, he sees the church and then he sees the world running around you. That's a totally different perspective, isn't it? All right. So he doesn't see Flint with churches in it. He sees churches with Flint around it. All right. Let's go on back to the list. All right, so the world, the church is not peripheral to the world. We're not just on the outside. We're not an afterthought. From God's perspective, from Jesus' perspective, the world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. So who we are is very important in the plan of God. And how we as, not just who we are as individuals, but how we as churches, as church bodies, function within the locality in which we are assigned. All right? So that that was a key thing that we wanted to do there. So when he came last week, we had talked about um, Ephesus was the first one we did. Then we went to Smyrna and He talked about the fact that, you know, these locations had specific things that they were dealing with. And then based on that thing that they were dealing with, he revealed himself. Last week, we talked about the fact that Pergamos was like the governmental city within that seven church region. Right. If we said if we said the economic center was Ephesus, then Pergamos, if if Ephesus was like New York City, this was the way we explained it. Then we said Pergamos was like Washington, D.C. One was an economic center, and then the other one was the governmental center. But because 
the proconsul had a two-edged sword that was the symbol of his authority, Jesus revealed himself as I'm the one with the real two-edged sword. Do you see how he's revealing himself to them in a way that made sense in the area that they lived in? I wonder what he would say about the car business if he was revealing himself to the church in our city. I just wonder. I'm not... I'm just wondering. Okay, don't 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 write don't write me no nasty letters. I didn't say that he did. I'm just telling you. All right. So he acknowledged that they had been in a place with difficulty where Satan's seat is, and that they held the faith. That they had that they were that there was a person who was martyred there, and then it said that they had two kinds of doctrine that made Jesus highly upset. Right. One, it says that there was those that held to the doctrine of Balaam. The doctrine of Balaam. And we talked about who Balaam was. Remember, Balaam was the prophet who wanted to get paid so much that he was willing to go outside of the will of God to just get paid as a preacher. And we and all preachers need to be careful that we don't, that money don't become our God. Okay. Then we talked about, you know, what, what was the thing that he was, he, Balaam was the one who was, um, we, we read it in the book of numbers and you got to go back and read the details, but he was the one who said, Hey, you, we can't, I can't curse what God has blessed. But if you get them to do certain things, they will curse themselves and bring up on a curse on, on the congregation. And that's what you got to watch if people aren't trying to seduce folks in church to do things that go against God. All right. Then um, and, it, and what was the what was the the cur what was the doctrine of that he was going for that. That they could that they could go to the temple of these um, idolatrous gods and worship in those temples, but according to that to their custom, with those temples came temple prostitutes. So there was always idolatry and sexual immorality always ran together. Got it. And then there was the doctrines of the Nicolaitans. All right. And these also were people who said, hey, we can we can have a little bit of Jesus, but we can have a little bit of five percent religion. If you don't know what that is, then I might have went over your head, but that's OK. Somebody does. Somebody know what I'm talking about. In other words, there's always a, you know, um, we always ever seen like uh, the gospel music awards and. Um, You'll have this gospel artist and this secular artist all doing something together. They always got to sing a song, you know. You always got to get Nicki Minaj or Snoop Dogg or somebody else on our platform with us to do what we doing over here. Not that they not, they got, you know, now Kanye want to have a church. I, I told people, Jesus needs Jesus. <laughs> yeah now he want to have a church i mean like dude i mean i mean i'm not 
you know, stay in your lane. You stay over there. Okay, we got this over here. Stop, stop trying to do my piece. And then church people, it's one thing if he say he want to do something, but why do we validate what they're trying to do out there? Okay, you, you got what I'm saying? We got to make sure because Jesus had a lot to say to those churches because of the doctrine that that um, came into them. All right. Um, and so Jesus told them if they didn't if they didn't um, deal with those that he was going to come and fight with them. Now, listen. If Jesus decides he's going to come to fight with you, <laughs> I just came from, from Vegas. I wouldn't want to take, take odds on that bet. Who's going to win? I just, I just wouldn't want to be the person. All right? And so um, that's the thing that we grasp out of that, that there are certain things that, that Jesus takes exception to, even in the age of grace, even in the age of the church. And the things that we saw was they were things that had to do with doctrine that was causing deviant behavior within the church that was sanctioned behind some kind of teaching. Because that's what doctrine is. Doctrine is an orderly set of teachings. But just because it's an orderly set of teachings in a church does not mean it came from God. All right. Now, let's look at First uh, Timothy four, one through um, verses one and two. Now, the spirit express ex now the spirit expressly says that in the latter times. Latter times, end times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. The devil teaches really good. That's what that says. That there are spirits that are deceiving and produce a orderly teaching, because that's what doctrine is. Doctrine is orderly teaching. Just because it's orderly doesn't mean it was ordered from God. All right? So one of the things that we're, we're developing a sensitivity to as we look at these churches from Jesus' perspective is how Jesus looks at the doctrines that the churches is producing. So I have to, as a, as a senior pastor, even when I'm gone, I have to make sure that I go back and fact check. Because there can't be no fake news coming from this pulpit. Does that make sense? Right? And I got to make sure that the spirit that is inspiring the words that come from this place is the spirit of God. Because the spirit of God expressly tells us that not every, every orderly teaching will be from him in the times in which we live. Look at verse 2. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with the hot iron. Some people can't tell the truth. 
Some, some people, they can't tell the truth. How do you know they're lying? Their lips are moving. Speaking lies and hypocrisy. They got a fake on. They have, they have, they have this image. They have these other things going on. And so we, we, have, to, we have to be careful um, as a church that we don't allow teachings and teachers to come up that will say things and teach things that go against God. Now, sometimes the teaching itself isn't something that's sanctioned from the pulpit. Why? Because they, it comes from a spirit. When people get mad and want to and, and want to leave a church, wherever they are, they all start talking the same. I've just had too much, and all of a sudden, you know, pastor was the greatest thing since sliced bread. But when they're getting ready to leave, it's all kinds of words come up. Well, the Lord is leading me here because all of a sudden I'm not getting fed. I'm not getting used. I'm not. And, and listen, people say this stuff all over. Why? Because it's a doctrine that comes from a devil. All right. So sometimes it doesn't necessarily mean when he said that there were people that held this doctrine of Balaam or the doctrine of the Nicolaitans doesn't always mean that there was somebody that was standing up in the pulpit preaching it. It just means that sometimes people come up with their own thing. In the book of Jude, it says it this way, that there will be people who slip in side doors. That's. That's what it says. People will creep in. It says they, they, they come through a, slide, a side window and slip into the congregation. And then it said that those people will be self-pastored. Means just because I'm cooking and you eating doesn't mean you eating what I'm cooking. Okay. So sometimes the devil, I'm here feeding you and the devil will give you something else to eat on while I'm talking. And then, and then that thing can take hold with a group of people. But then on the other hand, what I have, to, what, what he holds me accountable for, even if it happens and people start to take, then I take hold of some other doctrine, I'm responsible to preach it, teach it, rebuke it, cast it out, and get that doctrine out. Other times, the scripture says that there are people that are given a platform and then from their platform, they begin to tell you things that are false. Remember, what did he say about the church at Ephesus? They had a system such that people who called themselves apostles and were not, they tried them and said, you, you don't have the real goods. Jesus did not send you. All right. And so what we're going to see today is, as we look at the church at Thyatira, that there was a specific false minister that had been given a platform to preach from and was preaching things that were false and how Jesus felt about that and how serious it was for him. All right, so we're going to read Revelation chapter 2. We're going to read verses 18 through 29, and this is the one church we'll do, and maybe I'll get you get through this and we'll, we'll go on um, today. All right, so let's look at it. 
and to the angel of the church of Thyatira. These things says, now this is how Jesus was revealing himself to, the, to them, and this is really important, says the son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. Got it? Now, what good, what good does he say about the church? I know your works, your love, your service. That word service is the word diakonos, where we get the word deacon. So they was really serving the people. Your faith, your patience. That word patience doesn't mean that they could wait for church to start. They, they were persevering through difficulty. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. So they was a hard working church. Now, see, if I had read this, if he said this about my church, I would have been like, he shoots, he scores, nothing but net. I'm ready. To, Jesus, take me home. I have done it all. Okay. But hold it. He, he, he <laughs> that was not a period. All right. So let's go on to see what else he had to say. Now, let's look at verse 20. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Uh-oh. All right, get prepared. There's a gut punch coming. <laughs> because you have allowed that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. Uh-oh. She He didn't call her a preacher. She called herself one. Now, remember, Jesus is the one who ascends high and gives gifts. He's like, I didn't call her, but y'all allowed her who called herself a prophetess, right? To teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Stop, before we go any further, somebody gave that woman a platform. And as far as Jesus was concerned, the person who gave her a platform was just as responsible as she was. Pastor, Pastor I got a word. I got a word. I, I, I know I'm called to the ministry. Okay. I'm not trying to hurt you by telling you before you get to the ministry, okay, I want you to, you know, clean toilets and take out trash and stuff like that. I, I, I know, I know, but I'm called. Hold it, bruh. I'm trying to keep you and me out of trouble. Because once we give you the platform and we say this is a person we call a minister, then we're responsible for whatever you say. And if you influence the people wrong, God going to hold you accountable and he going to hold me accountable. All right? So she said she taught and seduced. She taught them in it, and then she began to lead them in a direction away from what God wanted. She used the influence that was given to her in the congregation to lead the people wrong. Okay, now... Jesus, are we just going to get over this? Let's, you know, because you love everybody. 
And you got all the grace in the world. So how are you dealing with this? Look at verse 21. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality. That word there, time, is the word chronos. Where it says like, you know, the chronology. So in other words, Jesus put her repentance on a clock. Oh, I thought I could just repent until Jesus came back. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed. Jesus, you going to make her sick? Is that what you said? And those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. Uh-oh. <laughs> he said she already hit because I done gave her time to get over it. And the people that she is influencing, if you stay with her, you're going to get her judgment coming on you. See, people don't, don't think that Jesus like that. But, you know, if you had a red letter Bible, those words are in red. So, so the, what she was doing was serious enough that the people that she had seduced, he called them his servants. But they were still in trouble. They were his servants. But once they've been seduced, he called his servants her children. At the point of seduction, they were his servants. But once they went over there, they were her children. And so she's already been given a chance to repent. Judgments, he's like, your clock is out. Now, people, Pastor, why are you spending so much time on this? Because people don't think Jesus think like that. They just say, oh, it's grace. This is still in the age of grace. Okay, but these are still the words of Jesus. All right. All right. That was verse 22. Now, verse 23. I will kill her children with death. If Jesus had wrote this, I'd have a hard time just dealing with this, but. I can't make the Bible say what I wanted to say. I got to let it say what it says on its own, right? I will kill her children with death. And listen. Now, see, I understand this, this kind of logic here. You know, my parents were youth ministers. And um, because they were the youth ministers in church, and um, when I was in that age of ministry, I was a little, I was a little, yeah, I was, I was all of that. I was all, I was a hundred percent boy. And uh, so I would just get up and do all kinds of things. And they said, listen, we're going to put a hurting on you. That's so bad that when the other young people see what we do to you, they're going to mind us. We ain't going to have no problem with somebody else's kid once they see what we do to our own. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to deal with this issue 
in this one church, and when I deal with this in this one church, all the other churches going to hear about what happened at Thyatira, and I'm never going to have to deal with this issue no more. All right, let's go back and read it. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches, not just the Thyatira, all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now look at verse 24. Not everybody got into trouble just because, but there was a, a large a subsection of that church. Verse 24 says, now to you I say, and to the rest of Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works unto the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. As I also have received from my father, and I will give him the morning star. The morning star, could, the sun is considered the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right. So let's go on to my list here. Um, you might want to get your phone out because I got a lot of lease on this first one. Um, eight keys to the church of Thyatira. So let's talk about this first one. Thyatira, right, was on the road from Pergamos to Sardis. Right. We came from Pergamos and then the next church that we'll deal with. So he's dealing with these things in ge geographical order. It was a city dominated by trade guilds, trade guilds. We would say today are unions. If you were in the pipe fitters union and then you were in the electricians union, but they didn't have electricians back then. But I'm just saying. Right. It had all of these trade guilds and each one had its own God. But the city as a whole was dominated by dye making. Dye making meaning like um, if you remember, remember there was a woman named Lydia who was a maker of purple in the book of Acts. She was from Thyatira. They made those dyes that went into making colored clothing. All the sisters said, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. All right. Um, they worshiped a deity, Apollo um, Terminus, who was considered the God protector of the city. Apollo was the son of the chief god, Zeus. And because Apollo was the sun god, he was surrounded by flames of fire representing the sun and, and was represented by a large idol within the city, which was an idol of brass. And he also carried a double-headed battle axe, and um, he was um, he would he would carry a double-headed battle axe, and that's how he was represented on their coins. Just like you know, they would have different images on coins, like we do, and it would be the name of their god protector, quote unquote, of their city. Now, why is that important? They had a god called Apollo, um, who was the son of Zeus. Jesus came to this city, going to number two. He came to them as the son of God. No, 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 no. Apollo isn't the real God, and he's not the real son of the real God. He's like, I'm the son of God. All right? And he says, my eyes, you've been used to seeing your God 
with flames of fire representing the sun. No, I'm the one that comes with the shine of the sun. I'm the one whose eyes have the rays of light coming out of them. No, your God, you think your God has, the God in your region is known as one that has feet of brass. No, I got the real feet of brass. And when I come stepping, you better walk, walk lightly. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's giving them, he's like, you're, the devil is giving you a picture that their God is God, but I'm the real God. That's the statement. But he wanted to put it in terms that people at Thyatira would understand specifically because of where they were. Got it? Now, three, Thyatira was a hardworking church because he said, I know your works. And then he said, your last works were even more than the first. Right. They were known for love, faith, service and endurance. But they allowed a false teacher named Jezebel. Now, listen to this. Possibly the pastor's wife. To take a title that Jesus had not given her as a prophetess. Now, Pastor David, why do you say it's possibly the pastor's wife? Because the word there, when it says you allow that woman, Jezebel, written to the angel of that church, that word woman there could be translated as wife. All right. Um, and when you think about who Jezebel was, because he was describing a prophetic profile, Jezebel was not necessarily her name. He was describing a profile of a person who fit a specific MO, just like Balaam was a specific method of operation, right? Balaam, the real Balaam was long dead then, right? The Nicolaitans didn't say Nicholas was the one that was still in that city operating, but his doctrine lived on behind, beyond him. So when he was describing, he was describing the specific thing that happened when Ahab, who was king over Israel, had a wife, Jezebel, who was influencing the people to follow and worship other gods. Got it? All right. Uh, let's look at 1 Kings 16. And we're going to read 29 through 33. And by the way, um, that, that, that influential thing of Jezebel always hates the Elijah, okay? When there is a Jezebel, they always hate the Elijah spirit. So when Herod was king and John the Baptist called out, John the Baptist who was in the spirit and power of Elijah, it was Herodias who influenced Herod to cut off John's head. Right? That's a, like if you got a real prophetic anointing, you got to be careful that something doesn't rise up and become a Jezebel to that. Now, pastor did not say, just for the record, that every woman is a Jezebel. Stop that. The Bible don't say that, right? Let's, let's, not, let's not put things that the word doesn't say. But what we do have to be careful of is 
the person who's called, the person who's really up doing needs to be the person who's called to do it. All right. They have, listen, in Paul's time, Paul had women apostles. Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla was the, was the female apostle. He spoke of a lady named Junia, who was a, a note among the apostles. We're not a, we're, the Bible doesn't say that there aren't women that do ministry. But listen, you got to make sure that you really got the goods. That's why in the Johnson household, I'm very particular. I am the pastor. My wife is not. Now, when we got married, we were clear to each other. And she said, listen, honey, the Lord didn't call you. I said, okay, honey. He called me. Now, I'm, I told the Lord, he ain't, done, he ain't done talking. So if he got something else to say to her, then he need to talk on. But I'm not calling her to that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. He's got to do that. He, she got to know that because she's got to stand for him. On her own. This is too hard. This is too difficult to have people up here who aren't ready to look Jesus in his flaming eyes and say that you call me and I'm doing what you told me to do. It's too difficult. So I'm real clear. Okay, now you got you have an administrative anointing, but the pastoral is mine. Right now, some other people, God told them, husband and wife, that they pastor and co-pastor, they got to do what the Lord telling them to do. But if they're calling that, then both of them better know that Jesus told them to do it. He can. I grew up in a house with two ministers, so I'm not saying only one has to be. But both of them could point to the fact that Jesus called them and it wasn't like a group call, like, you know, like all of us going to get called together. Right? Because see, when we all stand in front of Jesus, we not all going to go in together. You're going to get your turn, I'm going to get my turn. So I'm not going to be saying, well, Lord, I thought you had called the whole family. And, nah, man, you got to know he told you. All right? All right, so 1 Kings 16, 29, and we're going to read down to 33. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, the king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria, and Ahab made a wooden image, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. So because of the influence of his wife, he began to do stuff, and this stuff got bad. And so Elijah's ministry 
specifically came at him at this thing. And then she said, Elijah, I'm going to kill you. I mean, go back and read the pieces about Elijah. A lot of that had to do with her. So, so when this thing, I, when I deal with men called to ministry, I tell them, listen, make sure that God can tell you what to do and not your wife tell you what to do and try to run the ministry through you. All right? You got to be clear on that. Because both of y'all can't, he's not going to hold both of y'all like what she told me to do it. See, that's what Adam said. You, if she leads you down a path and you jack up, you're not going to be able to turn back and blame her. So I take input, but I'm still very clear. The buck stops with me. You, you understand what I'm saying? Now, that don't mean I don't think nobody heard God or none of that. I just know it's this serious. If Jesus is going to come and deal with it to the point where if something gets in, he starts fighting, Jesus starts fighting in church, then you want somebody that's like, oh, I want to make sure. Nobody should have their feelings hurt over that. <laughs> Am I right? Okay. Um, but what we don't want to do, and this is why you're, I'm slowing down and teaching this, there are people in the church world that would take a teaching like this and say that anytime any female teaches, she's automatically a Jezebel. Anybody heard that? I got some women ministers. Okay. So that's not what Jesus was saying. She was clearly teaching false doctrine and had been given time, even with her false self, he gave her time to get it right. All right. As a pastor, this was not in my notes. Sometimes people in music ministry, even though they're males, can function in the spirit of Jezebel. That wasn't in my notes. That was hot off the press. Can try to influence the church a certain way. So that's why there's a lot of churches can't stay sexually pure because fornication is running off the instruments. And it's running through the whole congregation because it's, gone, it's coming off the music. Listen, people do all kinds of sexual sin to music. Y'all did know that, right? That's not new news. Just be, So if a person who's consumed with that kind of immorality is pumping that music out, you, you may call him or her a prophet of worship, but that's still running out into the congregation. So I got to be careful. And now every person think 
that because they got a Facebook page that they can preach. And they think that just because they got a camera that stands in front of them, that they now have license to go over people that God has called to ministry because, and all they're doing, a lot of them is pushing out their hurts. So we have to be careful. All right. I just wanted you to know, since he's, the Lord told me to tell you, Jezebel doesn't have to just be female. All right. Y'all needed to know that. Number five on our list. This teacher was a self-proclaimed minister. And listen, there's a lot of brothers that self-proclaimed, I'm just saying, who used her influence to lead members of the congregation into sexual morality and into idolatry with the God protector, quote unquote, small G God, the demon that, that was worshiping that city, Apollo Tyremnus. Number six, because she didn't repent, Jesus was specifically declaring his judgment to her and to her spiritual children, making a public example for all the churches. Lord, please, please, Lord, I would hate for something to go so bad in destiny generation that you said, I'm going to whoop you so bad that every church in Flint know they don't ever want to happen what happened in their church that happened in our church. Can I get an amen on that? I don't want that. Do you? I, I, listen, I want to fix it. I want to. I'm, I'm, I'm checking myself and I'm not just checking y'all. I'm checking me because the letter came first to the leader. These are leadership letters. Before they get to the congregation. All right. He gave her time to repent. Yep. When you're in false doctrine, Jesus got you on a clock. <laughs> I don't know about you, but uh, that, that gets Pastor nervous. <laughs> I, I don't want... Do you remember Balaam? Now, see, we don't know what happened to the Nicholas in Scripture and how much time God gave him to repent before his doctrine really took hold. But we do know that he gave Balaam time. It's written in the Scriptures. Go back and read the Scriptures I gave you last week in Numbers. He told him... Like, the donkey saved his life. But after the donkey saved his life, he still got killed and judged because he still wanted to do what he wanted to do. All right? I don't ever, like, there are people... Um... There are people who I consider my, I have accountability. I have accountability partners. 
literally, I have built around myself a circle of accountability. And I got several people that I answer to. Now, some people think that I do that because I, don't, I can't make up my own mind. It has nothing to do with my ability to make up my own mind. Nothing. It has nothing to do with my ability to make up my own mind. What I don't want to have happen is God try to get an order to me and I'm so thick headed that he can't get it to me directly. And I have nobody who can hold me accountable that I listen to. Like if you really want to know what scares Pastor David Johnson, that scares me. That I could be going down a wrong road. And because I'm a pastor, I'm leading a group of people down wrong which means that my blood is on my hand and their blood is on my hand. And then God can't get an order from headquarters to me and nobody can tell me nothing. And so I put people around me. Now the people I put around me, they not more perfect than I am. Some of them have growth in areas that I'm attaining to, but I'm, 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 I have built a circle around me of folks. And when one person moves out of that circle, I got to put somebody else into that circle. Some of my accountabilities are in heaven. I, told, I was talking to Minister John um, today, and I talked about, and some of you may have seen it, I was out in... Um, Las Vegas, and they was we went to a Mexican restaurant on Sunday, and they were celebrating my birthday, and so they brought a sombrero out, and they singing happy birthday, and then they put a shot glass in front of me and saying, drink up. I'm like, hold it, pump them brakes. <laughs> and see, I'm going to tell you what happened in a moment. Now, I got a bunch of people that I'm accountable to, but in that moment, I saw Dr. Mark T. Barclay because he always talk about boozing preachers. And I, I just pictured him getting, seeing my video. And I'm, I pictured me getting a phone call from him saying, David, I told you you was my son until you jacked up. <laughs> now, now see, now, I got a whole bunch of other people that have talked to me and stuff, but for that thing, that's one of his pet peeves. So I'm telling you, it's sticking in my head. And I'm like, these people are trying to put me on. I'm like, it's not going to even stay in Vegas because they're putting it on camera. <laughs> and see, and I see, I'm like, see, that just, uh-uh. I said, no, no. My cousin said, no, he's not going to drink it. And she just turned it up. Praise the Lord. In Jesus' name. God bless you. I'm like, y'all not messing up my ministry. No, you not. Now, see, for some people, that may not be that deep. But I, for me, that circle of accountability was, is a real thing. You understand what I'm saying? So that doesn't mean I don't have my own sense and God can't talk to me. I want God to talk to me. But I also want to be able to say, Somebody to be able to say, man, you know, are you really sure that that was God? And I'm okay with them checking me. Does that make sense? Right? How, how can I, as a pastor, tell you 
I have heard God and I need you to check something. And then I don't have somebody that can do the same thing to me. To me, I am more scared of being in a church with somebody that has no kind of accountability. Now, all of them, like, in formal authority, listen, my wife knows she can grab my phone. I don't have no, like, there's no secret compartment in my phone she can't get to. What I tell you, spend it all. I don't have no secret accounts that she don't have access to. Now, we have money. We have money partitioned. We have it, though. That clear? We have it partitioned. But these accountabilities are so important for that reason. All right, where are we at on the list? All right, so she, she was given space to repent. Her spiritual children, God was making a public example. Number seven, not everyone in the church was under her, set, under her sway. Jesus acknowledged those who held fast against false doctrine, right? He said that there were those of them who did not have this doctrine. All right? So Jesus acknowledged that. Now, not everybody in the church was, was, was in the wrong. You know, I, I've often thought about, I've often thought about the, um, you know, what happens when, you know, stuff goes wrong in a church. And people, you know, because leadership can get off. And I'm saying, y'all need to leave. But, you know, and then the Lord said, David, you thinking about this, you know, like there's a church on every corner and everybody got gas money to get to the next one. That was not the case here. So there were people and, and Jesus didn't tell them to leave and go down the street to the Pergamos church. He didn't say that. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm thinking, like, why y'all stay? <laughs> now, see, this is just Pastor David. I'm just letting you into the conversation I have in my own mind, okay? Why y'all staying here with this knucklehead when there's some good preachers out there and y'all staying here with this? And, and then Jesus didn't tell those people to leave. What he told them to do Um. Number seven, not everyone was under her sway. Jesus acknowledged those who held fast against false doctrine. They just had to continue to stay faithful. He told the faithful to stay faithful, even when stuff is off. Listen, I mean to do right. I didn't say I did right all the time. I just say I mean to do right. I think it's crazy to do this stuff with an intention to do wrong, as if Jesus is not going to take care of it. Like some people, Jesus said that there would be those of his servants who would beat the fellow servants, eat, drink, and be drunken. And then he would come on a day that they weren't prepared for, and he would cut them in half. Now, to me, like... When I was a kid and mom gave us chores before she got home, I might have played for five or six hours, but that last hour I was going to try to get it right.
before I expected mama was going to hit the door. Can somebody say amen? Okay. And so all I'm saying is I'm trying to do it right, but if I didn't get it right, I want there to be a church that can pray me back in the right place. Does that make sense? Because we all need each other. I want you to hold fast. I spent all of this time teaching and putting notes out there and teaching all of these things because I want people to go back and fact check. If you, you think pastors got some off, let's talk about it. Because I'm a, I'm a, you know what? I'm going to stand up and say, I got that one wrong. I'm going to repent because I don't want to miss it. Right? That's the most serious thing. You only got one shot at this. We all want to get it right. Somebody say amen. Okay. Um, number eight, the overcomer is promised. Remember we said that the Apollo Tarminus had a battle axe, but Jesus said that they, he, would, he would give those that overcome a rod of iron. Um, he, would, he would give those not the battle axe of this Apollo or his supposed power over the sun, but he would give us power over the nations from the son of God. That's who he is. And he said we would rule them. What he says with a rod of iron. And he would give us the revelatory light of the sun to shine on them throughout all eternity. He said he they were worshiping in that region, the sun god Apollo. He said, no, I'm the one who has the power to give you the morning star. And I'm given that power of my revelation knowledge to shine like the sun throughout all eternity for the overcomers. We want to be those whatever we are facing in our region, whatever God has caused us to stand up against so that we can do church the way he wants us to do so that we can be those that walk in faith, that that has love, that that gives service, that endures, that does those preordained, foreordained works. We want to do that, and we want to do it in an overcoming fashion, and we want to push out false doctrine so that as the overcomers, we can get the overcomers' crowns. Lord, I want to be the one that overcomes the things, just like these churches had to overcome. We're going to have to overcome to do the thing that God called us to do in our generation, as our, in our congregation. Somebody say amen. All right. 